Hello guys and welcome to Radical Rocks. Today we've got a lot of exciting topics to talk about on rocks, gems, and minerals. On the first part of the journey, I was looking at Radical Rocks. There were fossils, minerals, and rocks and things. There were sand, hills, and rings. That's right guys, we've got the prog from Star Wars dinosaur that's been discovered. We've got a 27,000 year old face cream. We're going to talk about uh, some stuff going on in New Zealand. Famous people with lapidary. We're going to talk about lithium. We're going to talk about gold under the Egyptian sands. Giant rats discovered in the Philippines. We're going to go into a lesson on the origins of rocks. And also we're going to talk about where you can actually go and dig some topes. Topes in the Topes Mountains of Utah. So uh, should be pretty exciting, guys. Much, much more. We've got Rich Hill. We're going to finish up. If you hang out with us to the end, we'll finish up on the geology and we will also talk about one of the mines out there. So stay tuned and we're gonna get right into it. Um, first off, I wanna thank everybody for supporting the channel, for going to RadicalRocks.com, scrolling down to the bottom of the page and finding some of our social media to get connected with, subscribe to our blog or our videos and subscribe to this podcast wherever you might be listening to it. It's on all different apps, so you can pick the one you want. You can hit subscribe. You can like that and share that, and that helps us grow the channel. Okay, guys? We really appreciate it. Let's get right into it without further ado, because this is going to be a long one. Yesterday, had a power outage just as I was getting ready to do the podcast. Um, that was a real bummer. I started to haul out the generator because my uh, I had to go to work and my vehicle was parked in the in the shop. I have a workshop you might have seen on my videos and uh, just as I started wheeling it out there, uh, the power came back on. So I ran out there and got got the garage going, but I sure didn't have time to do the podcast. So delayed by one day. Sorry about that. Anyway, what if you were digging in your backyard? And you started uh, for a pool or something or a project and you found bones. That would be scary, right? That's exactly what happened in Las Vegas, Nevada at KTNV.com. Backyard Bones, Las Vegas pool installation reveals 14,000-year-old surprise. Well, what ends up happening is uh, the contractor finds these, uh, or the homeowner looks out there and sees these bones, I think. And they call the police. The police are out there investigating these bones. Um, they determined that they were not of a human origin. They were about uh, four or five feet below ground level. Right now they think that uh, these are Ice Age uh, animals, probably horses. Pretty large pile of bones there. And uh, they've dug them out and determined that it's just a small little catch of bones there and they've moved on with their project but boy wouldn't that be kind of scary to see some bones in your backyard now also in japan 
at ScienceDaily.com. New duckbill dinosaur discovered in Japan. Um, this is actually a new species of duckbill. It does have actual tooth in its mouth. They don't talk about how big it is, but it was discovered off of one of the islands, South Islands. Pretty cool. Uh, duckbill dinosaurs, if you're not familiar, are one of the most commonly found dinosaurs, uh, seropods, I guess it would be, in the world um, that land like a so-called land-dwelling dinosaur i would think they were probably in the water i've said this before i think a lot of dinosaurs lived in the water um now amateur archaeology takes overtakes uh britain in a large way there's an article by james ramp rampton it was published on the 21st at express.co.uk it says amateur archaeologist archaeology overtakes backing as top pastime with thousands seeking buried treasure and we've heard some of these stories um the young man that was digging in his yard and he found that rare uh horn coral in his backyard a while back a little, little boy i think he was about six years old we had a 81-year-old banker named uh, Charles Pohl who unearthed an 800-year-old palace in his back garden in Somerset. So it's like, I mean, they're finding everything from these little fossils, you know, about the size of your thumb or so, on up to a whole palace. Uh, quite amazing what's been happening. People are finding these things in their backyards amazing they're just bored digging in their backyard being under quarantine and finding all these amazing um finds you can read about several of these if you want to look that up um we will talk about topaz mountain and where you can dig up some topaz here in a little bit we've got some other interesting things what about gold in egypt you know egypt is not the number one gold mining place Excuse me while I get a drink of coffee here. So, in Egypt, um, as you know where the pyramids are, there's quite a layer of sand. Well, they are finding that there's actually a lot of gold under there. In fact, the pharaohs in the ancient Egyptian histories started exploring uh, for gold in that area very biblical by the way where gold was in those areas and uh, can be found in the Bible and that's that's very accurate so Egypt uh, they're starting to explore and look at doing this they're going to be attracting about a billion dollars in annual investments in mining um, targeting targeting these things my dogs seem to be going crazy for some reason they probably won't in the house they they always do this the cats come the dogs come the neighbors start you know revving up their engine or something or like every time I try to record it's it's the end of the world for somebody they just have to interject they have to make noise I don't know what it is some sort of a curse I guess you don't know how many times I'm trying to move into another room or quiet someone down while I'm doing this it's crazy anyway we Progress. Egypt is looking at being able to explore heavy metals. There's about 11 companies that are coming in looking at this mineral-rich area. Um, it is one of a very mineral-rich area that is underexplored um, because it's hidden underneath all these sands. So hopefully 
um, they can start to bring in some revenue by doing that here in the near future and some jobs for the people too. Now lithium. Lithium, we talk about it um, here on the show quite a bit. Lithium is going to be key to making batteries, but you know, there's a lot more to lithium than that. And um, it has been an uh, incredible history of lithium and its remarkable impact on mood disorders. Uh, we're just going to touch on this, not going too deep, but the article was written by Lynn Gordon. And it was written uh, in Santa Kadar for All in the Mind. It was posted a, a few days ago in the abc.net.au on their news page. And lithium has remarkable effects on the brain. You know, there's a huge, huge amount of people suffering from bipolar uh, condition where the moods are, um, they're. You know, you could say their highs are too high and their lows are too low, right? So when they're excited, they're just over the moon. I mean, they're like, they're just like, you know, it's matic, right? When they're depressed, they're just like, oh, they're down in the tank. You know, they're they're suicidal almost, or maybe they are seriously suicidal. It's a serious disease that affects millions of people here in the United States and probably millions upon millions around the world. Um, why is it on the uptick? I don't know. Maybe there's something in the environment or the food or the medicines uh, that we take are not natural. Maybe that's it. Uh, maybe, who knows? We could go, that's that's a path I'm not going to go down. But this doctor here, Australian doctor Jim Cade, um, in the 1940s, discovered that this lithium really helps. Now, they've verified this because areas where the water, the natural water, contains a higher amount of lithium, there's actually lower suicide and depression rates than areas where there is none. Back in the old days, you know, they used to put lithium in 7-Up. That's right. There's an ad here for 7-Up. It says, 7-Up settles the stomach for hospital or home use. The added citrates neutralize free acid. The sugar is is inverted, burns clean. 7-Up is more than a mixer. It blends out the harsh features, dispels hangovers, takes the ouch out of the grouch. (laughs) So it was uh, almost uh, being sold as a medicine, which of course is illegal nowadays, but lithium was seen as a bit of a cure-all and put in many bottled waters, mineral products, and such. And uh, like I said, there's plenty of studies up clear until 2020, a UK team from 15 different studies published their results. This lithium that's in mineral springs and stuff um, may influence the rates of suicide, violent crime, and even dementia. The study in the early 90s was one of the first of its kind to link between high lithium levels and lower suicide rates. Very interesting. Similar results are found around the world. But with all this, all this great stuff about lithium, they still don't know how it helps. They have no idea. They have conclusions that it may regulate mood and stop suicidal urges, but they really don't have a definitive idea. They feel that uh, lithium does affect the neurotransmitters, so-called signaling molecules and enzymes to brain cells and nerve growth, um, but they don't know how it prevents this 
they really don't know the exact answer. So lithium, an amazing mineral. If you're not familiar, if you like uh, kunzite, uh, it's purple. Uh, the best is purple. Otherwise, it's called, uh, I think, uh, sp oh, spatulum or something. I can't remember what it's called. But it, when it has the purple, it's because of lithium. And a lot of times in these uh, pegmatite er areas where the purple kunzite is found, you will find lithium and, and uh, lep leptolite, lepidite, those type of minerals that are purple and have this lithium in them and are rich sources of lithium. So there you go. There's your lithium. Now, famous people in the news. Um, you got Princess Eugene's unusual look. A 100-carat engagement ring has a key link to Kate Middleton's jewel. I'm not going to get into the article completely, but just know this. At express.co.uk in the Express magazine, you will see this article here that was written by Sarah Gray on the 26th of April. And they have a picture of their engagement rings here. They look really nice um, at, the, at the Windsor Castle here. They have uh, um, pictures of them with their jewels on Princess Eugene with her rings. Very similar to Kate's, it says. And you can see them here. They're, they're beautiful. They're not the traditional diamonds, um, but this one is this beautiful. It looks like a giant, uh, maybe pink-orange-ish, but it's, it's a sapphire. It's kind of a pinkish sapphire. And I, I don't know if I can pronounce what type of sapphire it is. Pad Paradish. There goes my dog again. He's just uh, giving me a hard time today. So anyway, this beautiful sapphire and kind of a round cut. Just gorgeous and eye-catching. If you want to check that out, you can go see it at express.co.uk and look that up. There he goes again. He, now he's out. He's in, he's out. He's in, he's out. Now, in New Zealand, we've got news from our friends there at SunLive, the Bay's first news at sunlive.co.nz. Gemstones to dazzle uh, this weekend are found there in New Zealand. There's a picture of uh, Jeremy do it hurts and he has got some really beautiful gemstones there that he's showing off and they have a show going on um and i remember it is five dollars for adult ten dollars for family and it's gonna be open from nine to five april 30th to may 1st so if you are in new zealand you're gonna want to check that out they've got minerals and crystals from africa all over um Turunga Gym and Mineral Club Mineral uh, Club is what is sponsoring the club. So you can check that out at sunlive.co.nz. Dazzling Gemstones show there. Check it out. By the way, we are in almost 50 countries, believe it or not. Our little radio podcast is is, is uh, broadcast in almost 50 countries around the world. Um, there's not a lot of listeners in some of these countries, but we do have them, and we appreciate them. And uh, welcome our brotherhood of rock, gym, and mineral, and lapidary-loving folks around the world. So that bonds us together, so to speak, cements us together, sedimentary. 
Okay. Minnesota Mineral Club moves its annual rock and mineral show to the Minnesota State Fairgrounds. That's going to be on September 25th, so you can really plan ahead on this one. Instead of telling you a day late and a dollar short, I'm actually telling you ahead of time here. Um, sometimes I get where I'm just trying to bring the information out and uh, it they post it. Like, you know, everything I get, I found it within the last few days. <laughs> it's like if you're going to be publishing a rock show by goodness put it out there a couple weeks early you rockhead you know think about it people got to plan their weekends but september 25th through the 26th you can go see this it's the minnesota mineral club exploring earth science they're going to have displays um they're even going to talk about uh space there the milky way quite a lengthy article if you want to check that out you can go to the digitaljournal.com digitaljournal.com it's going to be around uh what town was that i saw it uh minnesota state fair where the heck was it oh, i can't find it now i thought it was saint uh shoot oh minnesota saint paul Met metropolitan area that's that's where it is okay so don't miss that if you're in Minnesota in the United States. Now, here's some new research. Uncovers continental crust emerged 5 million years earlier than thought. I just like to bring these out sometimes because I get people who tell me, you know, I'll quote an article and, and they'll say, oh, you know, well, the science is, the science is clear. That was discovered and uh, that creature, you know, was in this period and that period and blah, 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 blah. And it's like, you know, the science is not clear. The science is the muddiest water of any physical study that there ever was. And in, in science, in, in uh, archaeology, well, maybe not archaeology as much as, but yeah, in some cases, paleontology. And these studies, <laughs> I'm not kidding you, man. They, they make adjustments of a half a billion years and it's just like it's nothing you know <laughs> uh and and mistakes all the time and adjustments and changes all the time this is a very fluid study guys um you know theory means totally unproven and can change on a dime tomorrow so just try to remember that when people tell you oh the science is clear you know this was discovered in such and such and it's this old and it's related to this and that and it's a billion years old and it's it's this period not that period i mean you know Take it with a grain of salt, guys. I mean, this is really a stab in the dark when you really look at all the facts. But it's fun, you know. There is discoveries, and they're the, they're there to look at. You know they're there. You can't deny they're there. So learn what you can, and, uh, you know, just be prepared to change with the uh, newer findings and such and, and your own core beliefs. All right? 2,700-year-old face cream. Wow. I mean, if face cream can last that long, it must be really good, right? <laughs> so this was discovered in China. Uh, the article's by Amanda Lim. It was on the 27th, and you can find this at, at uh, cosmeticdesign-asia.com. And um, it says, Origins of Men's Cosmetics, Discovery of a 2,700-Year-Old Face Cream Gives Insight into Men's Beauty Habits in Ancient China. This is a very interesting article. They found these uh, bronze containers in uh, China, and they date back to about 476 BCE, 
Um, and these contained some fat and uh, also some uh, calcite mineral, which was very, very white. Now, if you're familiar with some Chinese history and things like that, maybe you remember that some of these pictures show their faces very, very white. Well, they, uh, the rich and the uh, aristocratic class there wanted to have a youthful appearance and um, to the point that it looks unnatural. did not bother them. They put this white uh, stuff all over their face and they found this in some caves and they called it moon milk. Moon milk uh, was uh, possibly of spiritual value and used in cosmetic use and uh, they would put this on their face when they would get together. You see it in some of the ancient paintings and things like that. Um, very interesting, but this was used from the minerals, uh, particularly uh, calcite. Now, a newly discovered species looks like Prague from Star Wars. They've got a picture of them here at tvovermind.com. Newly discovered species resembles Porg from Star Wars, simply says written by Tom. And there it is. It's a bat, and it's got Porg's face on it, just as plain as can be. There's those funny eyebrows, those big eyes spread apart, uh, flat, round face. These creatures were in Star Wars. Uh, they were introduced in the latest uh, trilogy, uh, kind of akin to Ewoks, but unlike uh, the, the Porgs, the Ewoks apparently aren't going to be linked to any significant fossil finds since Pogs, Porgs are recently being embraced again after these fossils discovery in Chinese Hubei province. They have founded this creature with the rounded head. Looks so much like the fictional creatures in Star Wars way too much to be ignored and there's the picture you can see they don't know much about them at this point um, they have not hypothesized too much uh, they're a small bat-like creature and uh, a new discovery so hopefully they'll find more of these and uh, tell us more about them because they sure are cool you can check those out at tvovermind.com newly discovered species now greenland ruby gets 18 million in financing so I didn't know what this was. I was like, oh, Greenland Ruby, what the heck is that? Well, it's a company, and they are um, mining rubies and sapphires. And you can find the article at jckonline.com under that title by Rob Bates on April 26. But they mine these beautiful pink sapphires um, in southwest Greenland. And they have a license to do that. It is uh, one of the first colored gemstone mines in Greenland. And I'm just thinking, wow, you know, that is a real cool looking gemstone. They've got some pictures of them here. Uh, I would think that would be a great investment gem to have if you're into investment gems. We've touched on that subject here and there through our topics of discussion. Pink sapphires in Greenland, uh, the Greenland ruby. I would look into that if that is something that uh, that you're interested in. That is a beauty, folks. A beauty. That's going to be a hot item, I bet you. Um, fossils of giant rats. Giant rats. Oh, my gosh. You know, like rats are rats. Who loves rats? Very few people, unless you're a snake, uh, loves rats. 
These giant rats were so big that the people of the Philippines, where they were discovered in this giant cave, said, you know what? These things are so big, they, they are like a cloud over normal rats. So that, therefore, they named them the cloud rats. Um, you can read about this at inquire.net, fossil, fossils of giant cloud rats, rats rather, unearthed in in.net. Luzon Caves, L-U-Z-O-N, by Gabriel uh, Parbicchio Lula. She's a reporter there for the Inquirer, and it was found at the Caligo Cave in Cagayan in Manila, Philippines, is where it was first publicized. They feel these only went extinct just a couple thousand years ago, uh, not that long ago. Um, and there they are in that cave. You can find out. They found several different species there of uh, rodents, but those were the ones that were most impressive that they reported on. Now, we've got a lot of rock news coming up. Let's talk about something cool for us rock lovers. You Did you know you can collect Utah's state gemstone at Topaz, at Topaz Mountain? At Topaz Mountain in the uh, channel ABC, channel4.com, abc4.com, the article's there uh, under Central Utah. Did you know you can collect Utah State Gemstone at Topaz Mountain? And they tell you how to do it. They tell you where to go. There's a picture here of the uh, beautiful Topaz crystals with uh, what looks like quartz and some little black specks of uh, another mineral stuck to that beautiful mineral specimen. Topaz is a semi-precious gemstone spotted by its uh, hard transparent crystals of variety of colors. It is the state gem of Utah and uh, at Beaver, uh, Jubba, and the Tole counties you can find Topaz there. Uh, it is found in cavities of white rhyolite in the Topaz Mountains in Jabba County, Utah. That's J-U-A-B County. And they have pictures of the mountains there in the backgrounds. It is desert, of course. Um, it forms in these fluorite-bearing vapors that are given off during the last stages of cooling and solidification of silica igneous rocks. It's natural occurring uh, and can appear in a variety of colors. It can be irradiated or heated to enhance the optical properties. Uh, it is found in the Thomas Western Range of Utah and uh, is found in cavities of rhyolite bedrock. It is uh, amber topaz that is sought after the most here when it is exposed to sunlight. It will alter to a rose pink or a clear silvery white. Uh, sunlight can affect many types of quartz and their colorization, fading that out, so be careful with that. These crystals at Topaz Mountain, uh, again, are naturally amber colored, but keep them out of the sun or they will just fade away. Um, if you find uh, these, you can, you can keep them as long as it's not claimed. Topaz isn't the only mineral that's found on Topaz Mountain. There's other minerals like red beryl, amethyst, garnet, um, Pseudobrochite, bixbite, opal, hematite can also be found at the Topaz Mountain. If you go to the Topaz Mountain um, and you're able to find some topaz, you can take it home, says the um, geologist there, Mark Milligan, a geologist of Utah Geology Survey, says you can keep it. Um, 
there's little cavities within these ash flow deposits from an erupted volcano where the cavities of Topaz formed, he goes on to say. You cannot resell it. It is only for yourself. Um, I guess you could hand it down to family. Maybe you could trade it. I don't know. But uh, if you just start selling it, you're going to get in trouble. Uh, they will not allow commercial permits. Um, uh, it says uh, the area Topaz Mountain will not allow commercial permit to be obtained. A permit has to be obtained to collect turpoise, turpoise, <laughs> topaz and any other mineral on state land, but the BLM wanted residents and visitor collectors to be able to collect this beautiful mineral. Um, if you head there, you will be able to find it on a sunny day because it shines and uh, it is readily available there with a few hours of looking. You can check the washes. Um, most crystals are less than an inch long. If you want higher quality, you're going to have to work for it. You're going to have to look harder. Uh, there are marked claims there, it says, so don't uh, collect on those. Wear eye protective. Don't work alone. Carry a first aid kit. Watch out for others. Don't drop rocks on people. Don't go down abandoned shafts and so on. Um, pretty cool. Check that out. Um, would be really a nice trip to put under your belt and have on there. Now, local officials celebrate downtown rock and mineral shop with a ribbon cutting ceremony. Um, this is uh, by Anna Lamb on iikata. Uh, voice.com that's i t h a c a voice.com and uh, it's new jersey they've opened up a new uh, gemstone in the city of ikata the downtown ikata alliance it's a really nice little gemstone so if you're in that area in new jersey please go by and uh, support them we want to keep rock hounding alive now this is an article on rock lessons um, there's a lot of lessons online. If you want to learn about rocks and minerals, quite a bit of things that you can go into and learn. Now, before we go into Rich Hill, I will spend a few minutes on this. Uh, it is rock lesson number 10. If you go to HTTPS, uh, semicolon backslash backslash volcano.oregonstate.edu backslash rock hyphen lesson hyphen works you will be into several lessons and they are chapter by chapter uh first is the tectonic plates then chapter two is earthquakes and volcanoes three is cones and eruptions four is rocks and minerals ten is rock lessons there's several lessons uh, about 14 to 20 lessons as i recall and lesson 10 says the earth was formed the planet was hot, it was molten, the earth cooled, the lighter minerals floated to the top, and the heaviest sank to the center. The outer part of the earth's crust consists of the lightest rock. The lightest rock forms continents, mostly rock of granite. Most of the granite on the continents is over a million years old, has broken down, transported, and deposited into sedimentary rock. Layers of sedimentary rock form eight to nine miles thick, uh, in Canada and North America, that is the uh, situation. They go into the uh, lithosphere. The lithosphere um, is uh, the atmosphere and then goes into the continental plate, the volcanic islands, the ocean, down into the major plates, and then the mantle 
below that. The granite continents ride on a much denser rock called basalt. The basalts are at the bottom of continents of our great oceans, and this rock extends down some 40 miles from the surface of the Earth. The crust is very thin in comparison to the outer layers. Crust is only three miles thick in the ocean, 40 miles thick under the highest mountains, and the layer under the Earth's crust is called the mantle. It is one 1,800 miles thick. The crust and the upper level of the mantle from the layer of the earth moves very slowly, about one to four inches per year. That's what causes earthquakes and volcanoes and is called the lithosphere. Okay, there they go. Given a better description. Rocks are made of two or more different minerals that have either been cemented together or squeezed and heated or melted and cooled together. Uh, granite is uh, one of the things that makes up most rocks. Rocks make up the majority of the Earth's crust. The most common rock, again, is granite. Uh, there's granite, feldspar, quartz, mica, and hornblende. Granite was formed when magna cooled slowly, forming crystals of the four minerals that make up the rock granite, which we just talked about. Um, and you can see there's many different types of granite. Most of Earth's surface are covered by soil or clay, but there is small pieces of rock and soil and organic material that are on the crust. Um, eruptions uh, in Hawaii and other areas are often full of volcanic rock called basalt, which brings that uh, material from the lower part of the mantle up to the surface. And these type of rocks are found around volcanoes and areas that were once volcanically active. The rock cycle starts with um, igneous rocks that weather away and uh, cement together to create sedimentary rocks and then heat and pressure um, cause that to happen and can become metamorphic rocks, uh, melting lava, uh, heat and pressure and all these things contribute to the rock cycle. They change again and again into other types of rock uh, over the time period. So when we start with igneous rocks, they start out as a magma, which is a molten rock, and lava, uh, which is on the surface. Uh, magma is under the surface. It hardens to igneous rocks. They break apart over time. The bits of rock are washed away by water, rains, ocean, whatnot. Uh, they are cemented together with other bits of rock and form sedimentary rocks that can be called conglomerate, like a conglomeration because they're made up of many different pieces. These sedimentary rocks can be buried uh, by earthquakes, geological processes, uh, things like that. Pressure under the oceans as the land drops and raises and becomes such. Uh, the rocks under pressure uh, where the magma uh, the rock, earth rock, the base rock cracks can allow volcanic uh, to form. Some of these uh, layers get pushed down from the sedimentary rocks and become limestone, which form on the bottom of the oceans, lakes and such over many, many years, where fish and shelled creatures decompose and break apart and form a calcium carbonate, cementing together and creating this limestone, which makes up another sedimentary rock. Uh, as the magma forces up through this layer of marble, uh, it can cause metamorphic rocks, such as marble, 
uh, yellow marble uh, and other types of marble to be formed through the heat of the um, volcanism that happens on these limestones. So again, the three main rock classifications are igneous, sedimentary, and metamorphic, and they form into many other types of groups. The article here shows a map of uh, where the dominant types of rocks are located, igneous rocks being here in the United States, a lot of among the west uh, coast, many sedimentary throughout the country, and some metamorphic rocks on the east coast. So um, that being an older area, you will find more metamorphic rocks there. And it goes on into uh, many different rocks and how they uh, play on um, in the rock cycle and, and how they're found and, and what they make up and where they come from and how they're used, such as granite, milky quartz, pink feldspar, uh, hornblade. That's a material that contains magnesium, iron, silica, and aluminum. It's usually black, brown, or green in color and occurs with many igneous rocks. We find a lot of that up in the mountains. If you go and look at my videos at uh, Radical Rocks on YouTube, you'll see many trips we took up into the area of Wrightwood where we do find hornblende and other materials. Mica also, uh, this is like little sheets of kind of a glass, uh, is uh, something that is found all over uh, United States on the West Coast and here in Utah as well. So a lot of great information. If you want to get educated on rocks and minerals, you can just look it up, and there's one right there for you. So let's get into our last topic of the day. We're going to hit this real quick because I have got to get going today. Uh, can't do an hour-long podcast today. Sorry. This is Rich Hill. We're going to conclude the section on um, the geology uh, Rich Hill, a history, this is a, based off a book, uh, excerpts from a book, Rich Hill, the History of Arizona's Most Amazing Gold District by M. Catherine Crombie, Ph.D., Chris T. Galson, Bachelor's of Science, Danette S. Loretta, Ph.D., Eric B. Melanchlory, Ph.D. Um, it goes into, and we have gone into for the last several weeks at the end of our show, the geological um, formation, what we know about the Rich Hill, Arizona area, rich in gold. Finally, we're talking about the Young Placer formations, which uh, since we've already talked about the geological, the dikes, the deposits, Rich Hill itself, um, we've talked about these and how they came about. It only makes sense that these placer deposits had um, eroded from these deposits all over the place, and that's exactly what happened. Um, the sediments became stained from erosion and transporting over the millennials. Rivers and streams have shifted course, covered up older ones. So as uh, prospectors and such dig down through these alluvial fans, sometimes they find these. When they find the older red placers um, and stream channels through this, um, they are stranded uh, cuts through the walls and the placer gold of rich hole of rich hill can can uh, can be found not only on the current stream channels but on these placebo placer or old placers which you would want to look for these reddish high bench gravels that lie within the upper reaches of weaver and antelope creeks up to the 300 foot above the adjoining stream bottoms so um 
just going down and looking in the stream uh, may not yield you uh, every little bit of gold. You could actually have some good deposits in these layers. It's something to think about. The Weaver and Antelope Creeks, as well as other uh, small seasonal streams uh, within the 8 by 5 mile area around Rich Hill, can have some really great sediments. Some of these contain little or no iron oxide, which is the red staining, but uh, this can really um, yield some good deposits. There is a caliche soil, which is kind of a cemented soil. Sometimes it's cemented together, sometimes it's not, uh, depending on the area. And that can sometimes contain these red plasters, um, with the exception that quartz and coarse gold are less abundant sometimes in this caliche because, well, it's harder to work too. So there's about 1% black sand in the stream sediments of both fine grain gold and weathered out quartz veins in the bedrock and smaller gold particles that are found from the older alluvials of the red plasters. Uh, fine gold can be dry washed from Weaver Creek. Assays show that this gold is about 68 to 80 5% pure and uh, it is not uniform. It is kind of spotty. There's, it's, it's not easy to just locate a great uh, area. There's little pockets here and there that some are gold concentrations which are called pay streaks, uh, pay streaks rather, uh, pockets or whatnot. And uh, you can work these out pretty quickly and then uh, they just end because maybe that river was washed down and there's no more of those deposits. So there is a nice little map here that kind of shows the old uh, and new flow and some of these benches that could be looked at um, by the old sandbars and alluvial deposits that could be checked out uh, as deposits where you could locate some of these little rich streaks and red uh, stained placer deposits. So this is a really good book if you prospect in the area. I highly recommend you obtain a copy. Now we're going to go into the Johnson Mine. The Johnson Mine um, is probably one of the oldest load mines in the district. Um, probably very close to the Charles Statton Leviathan Mine. In 1899, a report to the territorial governor says the mine was worked for many years by Hermit Johnson, whose bones now lie buried beneath an immense wall of load from which he was stoping ore. So um, there was a four-ounce specimen of gold quartz that was purchased um, from John Stanton prior to 1886, um, and he recognized this specimen taken from his vein <laughs> and went to court and there's court records Johnson ended up taking Stanton to court over the same gold specimen and according to a sworn statement William Johnson claimed that Stanton came around to his mind when he was working underground and when Johnson caught him snooping around Stanton claimed that he wanted to borrow some tools for doing assessment work at the Leviathan mine and uh so he got some collaborating witnesses and uh, they uh, were defending their testimony. It goes on into this and it ends up Staten had hired witnesses, they claim, an unemployed miner who uh, 
was providing ample arguments while the gold certainly appeared to be from Johnson's mind and characteristics. There's no way to conclude um, without doubt that it was his. So he was ruled against. <laughs> he didn't get the giant nugget. But uh, he did dig uh, some high-grade ore by hand and uh, at the 200-foot deep incline found this dipping vein. There was ore that was produced uh, he had two drawn arasters, horse-drawn arasters, where he uh, cracked up the rock and uh, mashed it up into dust and used mercury to recover the gold. The cave-in that killed Johnson was that portion of the mine, and he is still entombed there to this day, according to this book. Um, he laid there for several years. In 1894, uh, they opened a new tunnel where there was a six-foot-thick vein it was mined for a few years and, and yielded high-grade pockets of gold-bearing pyrite ore up to three feet thick. The average grade from this operation, uh, Conley, was a half ounce of gold per ton. In the late 1890s, the site was owned by the Hamilton family, and J.W. Smith and the mine claims were patented in 1898 and 1899. So now that it's a patent mine, um, it's kind of like they own the land, whoever owns that. Uh, there was a 470-foot deep inclined shaft that was sunk in uh, that went on to get the vein more. There was a high-grade ore in zone 1 that was about 2 feet thick, and uh, they used compressed air jackhammers to drill 11 holes 4 feet deep, 10 holes loaded with explosive, while the 11th was left empty in a void for the explosives to break. Over 1,500 feet of workings were developed, and ore stopes that were mined on the 35-foot centers and backfilled with waste rock. So they would just kind of mine out these big pockets here and there and then backfill them. Uh, in 1938, they reported that uh, almost any available scrap material is unsatisfactory for timbering. Uh, in 1936, about 20 tons of ore a day were produced from the mine, including a small amount quarried from the vein at the surface. In the same year, the mine employed 17 men, 10 miners, 3 mill workers, 1 host, hoistman, 1 timberman, 1 ore cart trammer, paid on contract, and 1 foreman. Uh, and he also was uh, worked as a blacksmith. Pay was 4 to $5 a day. Housing was provided at a bunkhouse in the mine. There was a one-ton ore skip elevator uh, that hauled mine from the number two, number three, number four, number five levels. So it became quite large. They have diagrams of these here. Um, there was an iron ore chute that allowed ore to fall into the ore cart. Then they would push it down the tunnel. Um, the estimated expense for hauling ore all the way out of the mine using the skip by contract worker, paid 10 cents a cart, pushed the half-ton ore carts out of the mine. Oh my gosh, so much work. The Johnson Mill has the capacity to produce up to 50 tons of ore per day. This was put in bins, crushed with jaw crushers, and then uh, ball mills. They used a 4 by 5 foot ball mill, which crushed the ore into sand-sized particle. They used vibrating sand uh, tables at that time, which produced their concentrates of heavy material. 
the tailings um, were then, uh, they recovered sulfate materials such as gold-bearing pyrite and galena. The gravity concentrate uh, concentrators contained over 15 ounces of gold and 3 ounces of silver per ton, while flotation concentrates averaged about 4 ounces of gold and 4 ounces of silver per ton. And these were processed by amalgamation in an 18 by 36 amalgam pan. Retorting the gold and silver, rich mercury was performed once a week under watchful eye of the foreman. And then directly later, years later, it was sent directly to smelters in other parts of Arizona. The mine produced 3,000 gallons of water a day in the lower workings, which was pumped and used in the mill. In 1940, the mill, and the mine rather, was sold to the Macmillan Oil Company. They briefly tried to do the mine, but World War II came along. That stopped it. Um, and then operations from the, the Russell Mine, it became known as the Russell Mine because Frank E.J. Russell, Frank and E.J. Russell owned the mine. Um, they tried to get operations, but it really didn't go much of anywhere because of the water table that they had to deal with. In 1975, Bill Dean and David Galloway formed a precious metals mining company. They sunk a 175-deep inclined shaft, drove 70-foot audit into the vein. They found significant tonnages, uh, but it was not payable. Um, they suspended operations in 1976. Then um, the overall vein of the Johnson Mine is about a foot and a half to six foot thick and at least 300 foot long. It tends to the northeast and dips at 29% to the northwest. There's mineralized uh, quartz veins with gold-bearing pyrite up to three feet, minor pods of gold-bearing galena and um, spatelite are present. Uh, an unusual aspect of the upper levels of Johnson Mine is the occurrence of massive native gold that were noted in 1894 and 1930. This is very common with gold mines that there's a lot of gold at the top and then as you dig down it, it just becomes sulfites and there's not as much gold. Um, so very neat. Uh, next we can get into the Leviathan Mine. We talked about that a little bit. We'll talk about the Leviathan mine. We'll talk about some of these other mines. It's really a cool mine, the 16 to 1. There's also a very famous 16 to 1 mine in uh, Northern California, which is actually one of the most spectacular mines in the world, really, when you look at the history. And uh, quite a bit of history here that we can check out. I really recommend you get the book if you're interested in this area. Guys, I don't think I have much else to tell you. Um, been busy working and doing all that stuff um, I hope everybody's doing good getting ready to go on some nice rock prospecting trips I've got a couple places locally I want to check I've been busy so busy uh, around here at the homestead uh, getting ready for chickens getting the fence up around the property um, we're still here in North Idaho we're still getting some freezing nights so um, trying to figure out how to deal with the water for the dogs and chickens and stuff in the best manner possible. Getting ready for the baby chicks to come. Starting to do some planting and stuff like that. So 
uh, been busy volunteering at some community things with the church and also the school, helping set up a playground in the local school here. Um, so really busy, but I uh, love taking the time to talk about rocks, gems, and minerals, guys. Remember, rock hounds don't die. They petrify. <laughs>